It's good to be with you in Central again. Um, we're going to read from God's Word just first of all, and, and then um, we're going to think a bit about the last in our series on Advent. So we're in Isaiah. We've been in Isaiah over the last couple of weeks, and this is Isaiah chapter 7, verse 10. It's a short reading. This is God's Word. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. And ending at verse 17, the Lord will bless his truth to our hearts for Christ's sake. Amen. Okay, so Isaiah has been our guide through the emotions of Advent. We've been thinking about this for a couple of weeks, what Advent is, what it means. And essentially, Advent is a time of waiting. And in the story that we've just read from Isaiah chapter 7 today, we listen in while God talks with Ahaz, king of Judah. Ahaz is an abbreviated form of his name, okay? So Ahaz is a bit like Dave or Sam or Liz or Maggie, all right? Though this, those are not the names your mother calls you, and Ahaz was not the name this king of Judah's mother called him. His actual name was Jehoahaz. And in his reign... Pekah, who was the king of Israel, the neighboring country, and Rezin, who was king of Syria, pressured Ahaz into joining with them in an anti-Assyrian alliance, okay? He, on the other hand, was inclined to seek an alliance with Assyria, the superpower of his generation. So, this is not an idea unfamiliar to us, okay? So we have Britain, who is next door to Europe, who has decided that they do not want to have anything to do with the people who live next door to them, but think it would be a really good idea to make friends with the superpower of our generation who's on the other side of the Atlantic. So basically, that's exactly the situation that is going on in Judah at this point in time. Rather than ally with his neighbors, he decides that he wants to ally with Assyria. And Isaiah, the prophet, offers him an alternative. Ask the Lord your God for a sign. To demonstrate where Judah's true security lies, Yahweh, covenant God of his people, is prepared to stop at nothing. The prophet says to him, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the highest height or the deepest depth, ask anything you like. Go as high or as low as you want. God will move heaven and earth. 
It's a stunning moment of opportunity for a failed king who was desperate. So desperate, in fact, that amongst the other things that he did to try to secure his position, he sacrificed one of his own children in the fires of Molech. But he who would go so far to establish his position politically won't ask the Lord for a sign. And he does what lots of people do sometimes when they're trying to avoid what God wants to do in their lives. He uses a quasi-theological reason for not asking God for a sign. He says, I will not put the Lord to the test. He was enough of an Israelite to know that there were stories about Israel's past when Israel tested God and got into trouble for doing it. And so this was a brilliant excuse. And he says, no, 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 I'm not that sort of person. I won't put the Lord to a test. Instead, He goes ahead, makes an expensive treaty with Assyria with devastating results. J.A. Mateer, one of the commentators in Isaiah, says this, After Ahaz, there never was a house of David in the true sense, but only a line of puppet, pretend kings under alien domination until at the exile, even they disappeared into the sand of history, never to reemerge. This was the end of the line. But God is not to be put off. There will be a sign, a sign of hope. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So here we have a king who is looking for hope, who seeks to secure that hope by an alliance with the superpower of his generation, God is going to judge him for that decision and instead God is going to do something incredible by a virgin becoming pregnant and giving birth to a son. How is this a sign of hope? The fact of the matter was that generations would pass, empires would rise and fall before the sign would be given. As the commentator says, when he This child, when he was born, it was to share the poverty of his people, to inherit a non-existent throne, and to feel the full weight of the oppressor. Because the sign would be fulfilled in the lives of Mary and Joseph and their son Jesus. So what kind of sign is this? Because through understanding what kind of sign this is, we get to understand something more about the character of the waiting that is asked of us at the Advent season. What is the character of this waiting? Last Sunday, we discovered that part of the character of it was that Advent teaches us that we wait on God and we use the time while we wait on him as a moment of preparation. But this week, in the lives of Mary and Joseph the child that was born to her, we learn something else about the character of the waiting of Advent. What we learn is that this sign characterizes the waiting of Advent, first of all, as gestation. Gestation. The text says that the virgin will conceive. Now, human conception begins a period of gestation, which you will know lasts for approximately 40 weeks. Gestation of this kind with a fetus is mostly a mammal kind of thing, okay? Cats, it takes 25 weeks. Elephants, it takes two years. Human beings, it's 40 weeks, okay? 
And this gestation is a precarious process. One in four pregnancies result in a miscarriage. And in the womb of the teenage girl to whom the angel comes in the story recorded in Luke chapter 1, a single fertilized egg, one cell, would subdivide again and again until at birth the child born to her would be composed of roughly 26 billion cells. So many things could go wrong in those multiple subdivisions required to go from one cell to 26 billion cells in just 40 weeks. So many things could go wrong. Saturn V rocket, which took the American astronauts to the moon, had approximately 3 million parts. It was launched 13 times, and it never lost crew or payload. That's a truly remarkable thing, that an object constructed with 3 million parts never failed. We think that's incredible, but it is dwarfed by the complexity of the development of a human child in his mother's womb. Whenever our children were on the way, we went to various kind of uh, scans along the way. Our children were conceived in the Middle Ages and born before modern science was available. And therefore, in those days, scans were rare, okay? And they didn't happen as often or as automatically as they do nowadays. So a scan was a big event, nor did you get a high-quality picture that you could subsequently post on Facebook or Twitter. So when we went along to get to, to see the scans, what, what, what we always looked for was the little white blinking dot that told you there was a heartbeat and the child in the womb was alive. Because so many things could go wrong. And this precious endeavor, this gestation, is the way of the Lord. It's how he works. We are not just learning here about how a son is going to come into the world, but we're learning about the ways in which God works with us. In his majestic 139th Psalm, David sings these words, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Our God loves gestation. It is one of his signature works. And as such, it's a work of God that takes time. You have to wait for it to be completed. When a a child is conceived in the womb of a human mother, it doesn't matter who that human mother is, whether wealthy or in poverty, whether highly educated or completely unable to read and write, it will still take 40 weeks for that child to reach term. And you have to wait for that to be completed. And it's this idea which characterizes the waiting of which Advent speaks to us. The waiting that we are called to by Advent is like the waiting of gestation. God is saying something foreign to us is gestating inside us. Now, that's a scary concept. 
another body grows and develops inside the host, drawing its life and food and breath from the mother. This is the stuff of horror movies. This is Alien Covenant. But Paul makes it clear to the Galatians that we are not waiting for the fulfillment of a nightmare. My dear children, he says, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. This is the language of gestation. The work of the Holy Spirit is to form Christ himself inside us. The foreign element introduced to our lives is the power and presence of Christ himself. Just as at one time that Christ literally gestated for 40 weeks in the womb of his teenage mother, so Paul says the work of the Holy Spirit is to gestate him inside us. This is how the Spirit of God works. There's a beautiful song, one of the Bethel albums, and it goes like this. In the process, in the waiting You're making melodies over me and your presence is a promise for I'm a pilgrim on a journey. Something is happening in my life which takes time. It is gestation. It is not a sudden, automatic, complete change. It it gestates. It takes time. Something grows in me that changes me. And Advent teaches us to wait for gestation to complete its work within us. This is a hugely important truth to understand because this is a blessing for those who have failed, who sit here today and feel ashamed about the fact that they are not the person they are supposed to be, that there's stuff that has happened in their lives which doesn't speak of the love and joy of Christ that once they testified, but which speaks of their own sin and shortcoming, and you have failed. But this message is a blessing for you because your gestation is not yet complete. And this is a blessing for those who are disappointed, who look around them at what they have achieved and what they have done and think this is pathetic. I hope for much more than this. I thought by now this church would have had 300 people in it. I thought by now my life would be so much further along the road. Your gestation is not yet complete. This is a blessing for those who are struggling to believe it all. Who have an element of faith who have come out of a life where they said they didn't believe in God, where they had no interest in these things, and slowly, in a way that they can barely understand, they find themselves in the context of a Christian church. They find themselves singing worship songs. They don't know if they really believe at all or not, and they don't know what to think about that. This is a blessing for you because your gestation is not yet complete. Something has started to grow, but it takes time for that something, actually that someone, to be formed in you because God works by gestation. The problem is that half of the time we never notice it. It's kind of hard not to notice that Connie's pregnant. You know, that sort of becomes a bit obvious after a certain amount of time. But actually, in the early weeks of pregnancy, It's quite hard to notice. In fact, whenever my wife was pregnant with our fourth child and she was over 30 weeks pregnant, she eventually got round to saying to some members in the congregation that she was expecting. And the first woman that she told said, well, where is the child? 
It was barely observable that she was pregnant at all. So it does eventually appear, but for a long time there seems like there are no signs that there is a new life inside, that something is forming. Because that's that's the whole thing about gestation. On Friday afternoon we interviewed for a new post up on the Carn Money Road site to replace Dave as our worship associate. And I kind of reflected after we finished the interview, we interviewed three people. And I was reflecting on the fact that here we are sitting as a relatively small group of people interviewing three people for the post. These three people had all come to the church and got themselves involved in our worship ministry in just the last few years. And sitting on the panel interviewing them were another three people who also belonged to our church. And any one of the three people sitting in front of us and any one of those three people on the panel could have done this job. And I got to thinking about the fact that maybe we hadn't noticed that something had been going on among us, that God had been drawing into the life of our church people with these gifts and abilities, that something was gestating within us and we didn't see it until it became obvious in the room on Friday afternoon. The waiting that Advent teaches us about is the waiting of gestation. What God is doing in your life and mine, what God is doing in Central, what God is doing in Carnmoney, up in Newton Abbey, is done by gestation. It is done by something unseen growing inside our lives, growing inside the fellowship of this church. And for the end product of that gestation, we need to learn to wait. This is about gestation, but it's also about birth. The text says the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. Gestation is not a permanent state. It is a time of waiting for birth. And a whole new person is its end product. And so this sign is truly something to move heaven and earth. This is something incredible because something brand new is going to result from this process. We've already said that several empires would rise and fall before Emmanuel would come. And by that time, all trace of the Davidic kings would have disappeared from Judea, which was now under Roman rule. And yet those facts of history are undone by what? By gestation and birth. It was the kingdom of heaven's potent secret weapon. Why? Because under the noses of the oppressor, under the noses of the Roman army, which forced the rule of the world's greatest empire at that point in time, upon the necks of those who lived in Judea, Under the noses of that empire was born a Galilean, born in poverty and irrelevance. And yet within three centuries of that birth, that empire would officially recognize this child as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This was God's secret weapon. The undoing of the oppressor would be what? Gestation and birth. Would be what happened in the womb of a poverty-stricken young woman whose child was born. The, The text in Isaiah talks about him eating curds and honey. Curds and honey are the diet of the poor. He was born in poverty and irrelevance. 
And yet it would be he and not Caesar who would ultimately be the one to whom everyone would bow. As the prophet had predicted, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It is only when the period of gestation is over that you see what has been formed in secret. We are so impatient to see what is going on in secret. And nowadays we do see, thanks to ultrasound screening and Facebook and Twitter that let the whole world know. But in reality, what do you see? You see a vague form made of light and shadow. I have seen all four of my children in their mother's womb, but I can tell you that it told me little more than that they were alive. I actually only saw them when they were born. And that's what Advent teaches us about this time of waiting. Something is gestating in the church of Jesus Christ and one day it will come fully to birth. This new thing that God is doing will be fully seen for what it is. This is the promise. Paul says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul said, God is doing something, okay? But it's going to take time to happen. And one day it will be here in all its fullness. You will see what I am doing in all of its fullness, the new life that I am creating. One day you will see it, but you're going to have to wait for that day. I find it really hard sometimes to listen to the negative things that believers say about the church about what is wrong with the church, about what is wrong with those who lead it, about what is wrong with those who who do music within it, about what is wrong with the failures of those who offer pastoral care, what is wrong with our message, and what is wrong with basically everything that we do. So many people, and that's all they want to say about the church. Listen, folks, you're looking at the light and shadow of an ultrasound scan right now. You're not seeing what God is really doing. Because he's doing it in secret. It's gestation. But gestation comes to birth. And when it comes to birth, then you see what God has actually done. That birth ends the waiting. And then you will see the church as it really is. As it has been gestated within you by the power of the Holy Spirit. I love how my namesake puts it in his first letter. Dear friends. Now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You will be beautiful. You will be Christ-like. You will be everything you ever hoped that you could be by the power of God, but you have to wait for it because you're not that person today. Something is just stating within you and one day you will see it for what it is. And sometimes you look at your life right now, you look at the lives of the people beside you, you look at the lives of the Christian church and you despair and you think this is a disaster. A couple of Sundays ago, I had a young woman came to the baptism Thanksgiving class in Carmoney with her baby, who's now about 
almost a year old. And uh, when that child was gestating in her womb, um, at one point she had a really difficult period of time and it was discovered that there was a slight tear in the amniotic sac in which the child floats during the period of gestation and that the placenta was beginning to pull away from the wall of her womb and they told her in the hospital that the child would definitely not survive to term and that if the child did survive to term that the child would not live for more than a few days. And that child is now almost a year old. Because the people who were examining her, who were looking into what was going on inside her, could only see light and shadows. They couldn't really see what was growing and changing within her. And she bore the child to two weeks short of term. It was born at 38 weeks, and the child is fully healthy and well. And you look at the church and you think the church is dying. You think the church is unrecoverable, irredeemable, that the disasters of my life and the lives of other people and of the work of the Christian church in our generation are such that it will never last. It will never come to term, but this is gestation. And God intends to have birth at the end of the day. And as we wait on him and allow his spirit to work in us, then something incredible happens. It's like Mary, we are waiting for birth. And it's a patience we need to learn. If we could learn that patience, then it would deal with our critical spirit, looking around and pointing fingers at others because they're coming to birth. We're only looking at light and shadow. It would deal with our discouragement. It would deal with our unbelief. Advent is here to teach us this lesson. God is just stating within us a new person. The present state of our affairs is not permanent, but it's a time of waiting for new birth. Advent is not just about preparation, about someone crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. It is that. Advent is also about gestation and birth about learning that what God is doing, he is doing in a secret place that we cannot really see, not accurately, only vaguely. And that one day what he is doing in us will come to fruition and we will be like Christ who has been formed in us individually and corporately as the people of God. We will be beautiful. But there's something else. This thing that God does for which we wait This thing begins in moments. Jehoahaz came to that moment. God said to him, ask me for a sign. Ask me for anything you like. In the highest heights or the lowest depths, I will move heaven and earth. Ask me for a sign. And he said no. And for 700 years, the line of Davidic kings disappeared. And then there comes another moment. An angel comes with a message to a teenage girl, and she says yes. And in her body, the Davidic line of kings comes to its consummation in gestation and birth, and Emmanuel is born. And this is a moment. This is a moment. 
another moment along the long history of moments where God, by his Holy Spirit, comes close to his people and he says, ask me for a sign. And, and it's okay to ask for a sign, providing when we ask for a sign, what we're actually doing is not confirming our own belief. You know, we ask for a sign because we don't believe. We want the sign to help us to believe. And God doesn't give signs like that. They're an insult to him, and he doesn't do it. But if the sign that we are asking for is because we do believe, and we want him to confirm to us what it is we already know that he is saying, then he will move the highest height and the lowest depth to answer that plea. So that's what I want to leave you with today. Through the prophet Isaiah, God says to you, ask me for a sign. What is it that is the deepest trouble of your heart right now? Ask me for a sign. What is it that discourages, upsets, causes you grief? Ask me for a sign. God comes close and here you are and you barely can believe that you're here because the trajectory of your life even a short time ago was not a trajectory that would have brought you inside a Christian church at a moment like this where the Holy Spirit comes and God says, ask me for a sign. Open your life to me and to the possibilities of what I can do through gestation and birth in you. This is a moment. Ahaz said no. 700 years of disaster followed. Mary said yes. And a saviour came. And this is a moment for you. If you've been trying to take, make your mind up about whether or not you should get into this whole Christian thing, then this is a moment God says, okay, I invite you to try me. Taste and see. The scripture says that the Lord is good. Maybe you are a believer in a really difficult place. God says, ask me for a sign. Prove me. Give me a chance to show you. Ask me for a sign.